This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 247. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk about something I don't think we've ever talked about before. Uzo and Grappa. We're going to talk with a gentleman who makes uh, Uzo and Grappa out of uh, Washington State and also runs the Distillery Nation podcast. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll be talking to Ilias. I'm going to let him introduce his name. <laughs> it's a Greek name. It's hard to say. Uh, I guess it's not that bad, but we'll let him introduce himself. Elias Mastriganis. So, uh, oh, you know what? I wanted to tell you this story about uh, my nephew actually just bought a bar. And uh, he hasn't spent a lot of time uh, working in hospitality, a little bit. He's a finance guy, and uh, he's going to keep his day job. And him and his wife are going to try to run this bar and uh, have a restaurant, and, which is awesome. And it was fun. I went down for... Uh, in South Jersey, and uh, I went for the uh, sort of, it was supposed to be a soft opening, but it happened to be St. Patrick's Day, and the place was packed, so anyway, he, he, I think, hopefully he's not listening to this, I think he learned everything he learned about the hospital, about the bar business watching Bar Rescue, because he, he just kept saying, the, the bartenders, they're overpouring, they're overpouring, I'm like, I'm like, dude, how much... Do you want them to pour? Did you tell them how much to pour? How are you going to say you're, they're overpouring when, when you didn't say how much is in to tell them how much to put in there? You know, I said, this is what, an 8-ounce, 10-ounce glass, I think? He says, I don't I'm not sure. <laughs> said, okay, well, how much, you know, it's for you to decide how much you want in that, how much liquor you want in that drink. And uh, so, you know, you, you let's go make some drinks and we'll taste it and, and see what level of, uh, you know, you want them to... Of course, you know, you don't want to pour a weak drink uh, based on the size glass you're putting in there. You're giving people, but it's uh, it's up for you to decide, you know. And so don't don't tell me they're overpouring if you don't tell them how much to pour. And, and I tell you what, I've never once started working in a bar where a manager or an owner told me how much they want, how much liquor they want to put in the drinks. It's, it's just crazy, you know. So anyway, I thought that was a good story. Uh, and everybody can learn from you know you gotta if you're the owner or the manager you gotta tell the bartenders how much to put in there so then i told him i said um you know let's i'm drinking a uh, 10 grand tonic here you know and uh yeah actually it's uh you know it's balanced properly it tastes you know you can taste the liquor a bit and uh it seems about right but um how much how many drinks do you think you're getting out of that bottle i said a, a one liter bottle is uh about 32 ounces so and let's say for argument's sake a liter of tangare is uh, about 32 dollars which is about right um so i said so he goes oh two dollars right i said so now you should be paying you should be charging uh f- you should be marking that up um four to five times so you know your pour cost should be between 20 and 25 percent he said uh, he said ten dollars i can't charge ten dollars for a drink in this neighborhood bar i said well okay <laughs> he said they'll, they'll go down the down the street and drink somewhere else i said uh, well i mean that's the standard and that's what you got you know you should be marking it up to at least eight dollars you know and he said that's too much for this neighborhood i said okay <laughs> I don't have to tell you, but that's, you know, that's the rule. That's the, you know, that's what you shoot for, 20 to 25% pour cost. 
Anyway, moving on. <laughs> God bless him. I hope he does well. Um, <laughs> I got to get down there and help him out some more. The book this week, the book of the week this week is Road Sodas: Recipes and Techniques for Making Great Drinks Anywhere by our friend Kara Newman. She was uh, she moderated the panel uh, when I was on the panel at Tales of the Cocktail about the uh, we did a seminar called Podcasting for Bartenders. Uh, anyway, this is a fun little book about making drinks in planes, trains, and hotel rooms or wherever you may be. Kara uh, writes in the introduction that she knew she had to write this book during a 10-hour flight delay in Mexico. She has quotes in the books from some big shots in the industry like Jacob Breyers, Pam Witnitzer, Chris Hanna. Uh, it's a it's fun to improvise when you're on the road with whatever you might have on hand to make great cocktails. Pam, Pam Wiz says uh, in the book, when she's on the road and finds herself without bar tools, she sometimes goes into a local deli or bodega and buys an empty quart container to use as a shaker or a mixing cup. Uh, she'll look for free chopsticks to use as a mixing spoon. The lid on the quart container can be your strainer. So uh, I remember leading up to a few years ago in the days leading up to Tales of the Cocktail, Tales ran a little Instagram competition to see who could make the most creative cocktail on the plane on the way to New Orleans. Uh, the that that comp that, I don't know what the prize was for that. It wasn't wasn't much, but uh, but uh, it was mostly bragging rights, I think. But anyway, every year uh, Tales of the Cocktail runs a, a serious cocktail competition to determine the official drink of the year for Tales. There is a cash prize. I'm not sure how much that is, but I remember it's uh, it's enough to cover your trip down to New Orleans and, uh, and your hotel stay. So I, I think it was about $1,500 or so. Um, so, you know, why not enter? They uh, they award the prize at the yearly Toast to Tales, which is the official kickoff to uh, Tales of the Cocktail. It's held in the street in front of the Hotel Monteleon, and they hand out little cups of the winning cocktail to everybody. Uh, this year, the theme is the French 75. So why not enter that competition? We'll have a link to that on bartenderjourney.net. Our sponsor this week is Shaker and Spoon Cocktail Club. They'll send you a box of great ingredients every month, enough to make four portions of three great craft cocktails. Uh, you just need to pick up one bottle of whatever spirit is called for that month. These are original recipes sourced from awesome bartenders all around the U.S., like our friend, the cocktail guru, Jonathan Pogash, Souther Teague, Pam Wiz, and lots more. The next box is the Rum Wild Box. Order by March 31st, and you can get in on this. If you use the coupon code BARTENDER, you'll save $20. If you don't get around, you know, if you don't get your order in on time, don't worry. Shaker and Spoon will be doing another box next month. It's a great way to open your cocktail making horizons. Plus, talking about taking your cocktails on the road, like in the road soda book, in the uh, in the box, there's usually lots of interesting syrups and other ingredients, usually in three ounce bottles or less. So if you have any leftover stuff from your box, you can take it on trips and make great cocktails in the plane or uh, in your hotel. Each box comes with all the syrups, bitters, garnishes, mixers, citrus, all, everything you need to make some delicious craft cocktails. Plus, you get recipe cards for each drink. The boxes are put together by Mike and Anna in Brooklyn and shipped out for you monthly. You can always skip a box if you like. Uh, go over to shakerandspoon.com, spell out and, shakerandspoon.com, and there's lots of great how-to videos there to check out, and uh, I hope you'll sign up for Shaker and Spoon Cocktail Club and save $20 and show your support for this show by using the coupon code BARTENDER. I went to a couple of interesting events this week. Uh, one was a wine tasting of Croatian wines, which uh, I didn't have high expectations for, but they were awesome. <laughs> they were so good. I was very uh, surprised by how, how great those Croatian wines were. also went to uh, an event. Again, put on by Walter Easterbrook, our friend who uh, he put on an event that was it two weeks ago or 
I guess it was about two weeks ago with Dale DeGroff. But anyway, uh, this event was uh, sponsored by Woodford Reserve again, and it's called Beyond the Bar. There was a uh, life coach there, Tom Summers, a really smart lady named Natalie Freon. Freon? Uh, and she talked about business, uh, the, the business of running a bar, you know. And uh, Lynette Marrero, who runs, um, she helped found Speed Rack, and uh, she used to be a big shot uh, brand ambassador. Now she's a bar owner. And uh, so, uh, uh, Walter is going to continue this series with a, with small sessions of 10 to 12 bartenders where they'll all have interaction with top professionals in finance, personal branding, PR and media, wellness and other, and other stuff. If you're, if you're in the New York area and you want to get in on this, let me know. Shoot me an email and I'll get you hooked up. Uh, you can email me directly at brian at bartenderjourney.net. Besides being the Woodford Reserve brand ambassador, Walter has a company called the Bowery Collective. They are uh, they're going to sponsor some future episodes leading up to one of the Bowery Collective's biggest events of the year, Art Agave. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, put the, put this date on your calendar if you're any if you are or can be in the New York area, Friday, June sixteenth, two thousand eighteen. It's a very cool event held at the beautiful Bowery Hotel in Manhattan. It's quote a unique celebration of fine agave spirits, arts, and entertainment inspired by the richness of Latino culture, end quote. So yeah, it's all about tequila and mezcal. So that's going to be, that's that's a great event. That'll lead us to the cocktail of the week and we'll do a tequila cocktail. It's the El Diablo. You want one and a half ounces of a Reposado tequila, half an ounce of creme de cassis, half an ounce of fresh lime juice, and a little ginger beer to top it off. So uh, you shake everything but the ginger beer and then strain that uh, into a highball glass with ice and uh, add a ginger beer. So add some ginger beer. So that's, a, you know, a buck or, or a mule-type drink. Uh, with It's a tequila buck, I guess you'd call it, with uh, creme de cassis added. All right, let's talk Uzo and Grappa with Elias Mastroganis. Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, first name is Elias, last name Master Yanis, and uh, uh, I'm the owner and distiller of Master Yanis Distillery. Very good. And you're making uh, Uzo for one, yeah? We're making Uzo, Grappa, and a Honey Grappa. So um, uh, you have the samples uh, sent, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to do a little tasting, yeah. Very good. And uh, you do some other things as well, like uh, your own podcast, Distillery Nation Podcast. Correct. Yeah. So it actually started about uh, two years ago when I actually started the distillery. And uh, there was no good way of uh, figuring out what you have to do to get into the business, start the business. So I decided to do a podcast where I go around and interview other distillers. Plus, I try to document my own stories where you know I share my conversations with lawyers, designers, insurance agents. Uh, just kind of help uh, give you a little bit of background of what's happening when you're trying to make some booze. So yeah, there's a lot to it, isn't there? For between yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's. The, I mean, we always say as bartenders, we have a, a lot of different. Uh, we wear a little, a lot of different hats, but man, what, you, what you're doing is impressive, man. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, there's definitely a lot, and uh, that's uh, that's the goal of the podcast to kind of demystify some of those uh, those issues. And it's a learning experience for yourself, right? Doing the podcast. That's what I found for myself, anyway. Oh, of course, yeah. It's uh, it gets me out of my circle too, uh, for sure. It's uh, it's it's a great way to uh, meet new people and uh, chat, and uh, I'm I'm having a lot of fun, so definitely enjoying it. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's just this outlet, great outlet to meet new people, like you said, absolutely. So, Excellent, yeah. so uh, your history, so your your. Dad's a winemaker, right? Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background. Yeah, I actually uh, came to the United States when I was 16, went to school, um, 
actually went into a, a, a bachelor's degree program and then kind of ended up getting a job in IT right after college. Met my wife, got married. We have a, a four-year-old son, but um, uh, the the family background, I was originally born and raised in Greece. Um, uh, winemaking, distillation goes a long way back there. So my dad has been making wine passed down from his father, um, now doing 30 years in a semi-small production. Uh, he started fairly small and uh, uh, nothing crazy, but he ramped it up to about 20 tons per year. Uh, so yeah, he's been making wine for a long time. And then uh, a side effect to that, there's grappa distillation. So in Greece, uh, grappa or tsipuro, if you actually ever visit Greece, that's how they pronounce it. It's really popular and they have different variations. Uzo obviously is one of them, a little bit different kind of spirit, but same origins. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, that's that's how I actually got into this whole thing where I, I went and visited him uh, two and a half years ago. And it was right at this time uh, where kind of harvest ends and then distillation begins for a lot of a lot of Greeks. Uh, and there's. Uh, uh, home distillers, there's some professional ones where you can actually take your um, raw materials to be distilled. So it's a little bit, the laws there is a little bit more flexible than the United States. So you see a lot more community around distillation. It's, you know, it's a family business type thing where people get together, distill, have a good time, drink and uh, enjoy themselves. Uh, so when I, yeah, when I came back, I'm like, I, ha- I have to do this. So that's, uh, that's how the whole thing started. That's great. Well, ouzo is something we've never talked about once on my show, I don't think. So uh, what's what's the definition of ouzo, first of all? So ouzo, if you look back into the history, it started as a, as a grappa. So uh, what I found was uh, they were taking grappa, and essentially how I got to it, uh, they started adding anise, so the anise seed, which gives it that uh, black licorice flavor. And it's not your traditional candy black licorice. It's a little bit more subtle, more uh, more sweet, more natural tasting. Um, And then that moved to wine, so it evolved to a wine distillation. So they were taking wine and distilling into a a brandy, adding the botanicals, and then ouzo kind of involved to that. And then these days they're using neutral grain spirit, it's more available, um, uh, easy to produce, uh, and cost-effective. But yeah, it's essentially, I think of it, when I try to explain it, I think of it as a, as a, essentially a gin, but the, the key botanical being anise or star anise. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, um, that, that's a good uh, equation, you know, or a com- comparison with, with gin because that's it's same process, I guess, yeah? Very similar process, yeah. And then, again, it gives you the flexibility. Each distiller can make their own botanical mix, uh, personalize it to their taste, and then uh, uh, put it out there. And uh, the, the difference with my uso, it's, again, distilled from a wine base, so which is very unusual even for these days. Right, right. Uh, so are you make are you make, are you putting out wine as well or no? No wine. So the the distillery is yeah focused on spirits only. But uh, we actually source wine. We actually make our own wine as well. So depending on the season, we'll uh, source a little bit of wine, but we also make our own, and uh, we we make all of our spirits out of grapes and or wine. Okay. Well, uh, I guess now's the time to try a little ouzo, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have Have you tried a ouzo before? Uh, no. This will be the first time. Okay, so yeah, it's uh, the moment you uh, 
you actually add a little bit of ice or water, it will actually luch. Uh, essentially, the anise oil will start releasing and it will cloud up. Right. Um, this has, uh, it's a five botanical mix, uh, anise, coriander, fennel, cinnamon, and orange. Oh. Um, and then again, it's distilled from wine. So it has a lot of the, the legs and the depth of wine. In this particular case, it was a Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. Um, I've used reds, mostly whites, but, uh, trying to experiment a little bit and see which wine, uh, tends to work with the botanical mix that I'm using. Right. Is that a traditional way to drink it with a little water? With a little bit of water, yes. And uh, in Greece, they, they quite a bit of ice. So they, they uh, yeah, usually summertime uh, goes great with seafood. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a very popular drink during the hot summer months in, uh, in Greece. Okay, I'll add a little ice then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, it's um, very complex. For, oh, yeah, it does change the color, doesn't it? <laughs> when you add the ice, it, uh, the, it gets that. Um, what did you refer to it? Uh, they call it the ouzo effect. Oh, okay. But, but <laughs> essentially, it's the anise oil um, becomes soluble with water. So that's the chemical reaction that happens. And uh, there's a more complex, better way to explain it uh, if if you look it up online. Yeah. Uh, but that's the, the more uh, basic one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, delicious. I love the uh, I love the citrus aspect to it, uh, which is I don't know if that's unusual for Uzo, but it's uh, it, it shines through for sure, and it's delicious. Yeah, very unusual, and I actually use fresh orange as well as dehydrated orange peel. So uh, none of the the Greek distillers that I know and the Uzos that I've tried have any citrus notes. They're more fairly basic, yeah, uh, and more more spicy, I would say, not mm. fruit forward. So I wanted to create a little bit different and put my own spin on it as well. Very good. And uh, so what type of uh, cocktails are made with ouzo in, in Greece? So honestly, it's sipped by its own. Yeah. But a lot of people do orange juice, okay. lemon juice. Um, it's actually kind of like a... Um, uh, it honestly goes by itself. There's no, I haven't experimented too much with Uza cocktails. Um, uh, I've done a, a, a margarita version of it. I call it Uzorita. So essentially mm-hmm. the same ingredients as a margarita, but I actually substitute a little bit of Uza and it tends to go well. Okay. Uh, but I, honestly, I like to sip stuff on its own and kind of yeah. get get the, the flavor of the, the spirit that I'm ta- uh, tasting. Oh yeah, I hear you. I, we have um, bar institute going on in New York right now, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of cocktails to sample, you know. But I, I get I find I get cocktail fatigue after a while. After 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 a while, I'm just like, can I just have some whiskey, please? <laughs> <laughs> Meat, yes, yes, I, I totally relate. So the grappa, do we want to uh, talk about Introduce, that for a minute? Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually uh, so I'm located. The distillery is located in Washington, uh, Washington State, um, and we're a big producer of grapes, second to California. Uh, we have a lot of beautiful grapes up here, and we're actually in the same um, uh, geometric region with France, which is another story. But w- we have this unique landscape in Washington where uh, we have some mountain ranges that divide the state. Mm. So on the eastern side, we actually get very desert-like weather, which is really prime for grape growing. Mm. And we have some really great varieties 
Um, and then the the grappa came about. That was the original spirit for the distillery, uh, being from Greece. But it's essentially distilled from the pumice of the grape skins. So after you're done with the winemaking process, uh, the winemaker is left with uh, skins, seeds, and sometimes the stem of the of the grape, depending on the the winemaking style that they're doing. Right. And what I do is I take that, double distill it, and add water. And it's as basic as that. And I do uh, try to do single variety. So in this particular case, you'll taste the uh, Tempranillo. It was distilled uh, uh, from a Spanish red uh, grape variety. Um, And it's um, very earthy. Uh, It's mostly done after um, a heavy meal. It's Mm. uh, digestive or as aperitif. Uh, possibly earlier as well. And I, I like to say that it actually pairs really well with wine because it, it was distilled from a wine base. It has fairly similar characteristics from the grape. Um, obviously more, uh, again, more earthy, more in your face, but smooth and very elegant as it goes down. So, Very nice. So really the, I guess the only difference... It's it's similar to brandy, I guess, but but it's um, sort of the uh, the uh, byproducts of making the wine, right? It's Correct, and it, fermented. Yeah, and it's considered by the federal regulations. It is considered a brandy. It's just a different oh, category within the brandy. Uh, uh, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And then uh, the last one you sent over is uh, looks like it's aged for a bit. It's got some color to it. It's actually not aged. Oh, okay. yeah, that's the so it's actually what I do is uh, I take the grappa base, okay, and then I add local wildflower honey, cinnamon, and cloves. Okay, uh, this recipe came from the island of Crete in Greece, mm. um, and it's essentially their version of a hot toddy. They we call mm. this a flu shot. Yeah, kind of we drink it during the winter. Uh, it's really, it's really well, it goes really well when it's, uh, you warm it up a little bit or you add it into a hot toddy type thing. Okay. Uh, and then and during the summer, this, you pronounce this how? Racomelo. Racomelo. Yeah. Nice. So essentially the translation is, uh, grappa with honey. Okay. Uh, kept the name original. Uh, wanted to kind of bring that flavor and that history behind it. I can see the hot toddy thing. I mean, it smells like tea with honey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's uh, it's lower proof, so this one is at 30, um, uh, but it depends on the, what the batch was. Uh, but it, it really tends to be lower proof, uh, easier to drink. I, I think it has just the right amount of honey. I don't like things when it's too sweet Yeah. because uh, I like to drink a little bit more than just a little shot, for example. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, it drinks like a brandy. That's what I like to think about it. So uh, tell me again what the botanicals are besides the honey. Uh, cinnamon. So I oh, use yeah. Kalen cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes from Sri Lanka. So it's it doesn't have that spicy fireball taste to it. It's more subtle, uh, naturally more sweet. Mm-hmm. And then cloves. So cloves, just a little right. bit of cloves to kind of finish it uh, right before bottling. Could put my finger on it. This cloves come come, come through uh, strongly actually on the on the taste. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. I hear you're uh, putting out a software to help people manage their uh, distillery business too, huh? Right, right. Yeah. So that was the the other addition. Uh, as as you start into this business, there's a lot of paperwork that you have to actually go through and do on a on a daily basis, on a monthly basis. Yeah. And um, you kind of have to drop 
track every drop, don't you? <laughs> Essentially, yeah, from the raw material, you have to kind of keep that audit trail from the beginning all the way uh, as things ship outside the distillery. Uh, to pay your taxes, essentially, to your to the federal government, to the state, and uh, yeah, I came up with the idea. There's um, there's a few uh, software solutions already, but uh, none that fit the small business, small distillery type. Uh, so I wanted to create something that it's more affordable, more easy. Um, so yeah, we we came up with uh, drop bit technologies, which is essentially our own spin of distillery management. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of record keeping. They they can, they can come in and. Uh as for for the paper trail of every, everything that comes through your doors, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, you have to keep physical, re- be able to do physical records for the last three years mm. in the moment's notice. So they, they'll get you a notice saying, hey, next week we'll draw by. So you have to be able to provide that. And, uh, you know, just a notepad and pen doesn't work anymore. There's so much things that happening. So I'm being able to just store everything in the cloud securely and then be able to pull it out and, uh, do your reports on a monthly basis, which is critical. We have to fill three remo- reports to the federal government as part of our job. Uh, so being able to do that in an automated fashion and, uh, again, uh, it just saves a lot of time. So, Yeah, that's great. It's cool when you can merge your interest into a you know into something something new you know yeah yeah and it's it's a gap essentially I, ha- I come from a, a IT background so it's a natural translation for me to incorporate distilling and then a little bit of uh, software and a little bit of automation in in between right right well cool you you have your hands full I would I would ask if you have any anything else cool coming up but uh, I, don't, I can't imagine. Uh, what else you could add to that plate? Because you got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, everything between the podcast, the distillery, and the 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 software keeps me fairly busy. So I bet, it's a, yeah, it's a handful. Yeah, the, and the uh, podcast is more time consuming than you might think, right? <laughs> oh my god, yeah, and that's why I do it. And I think you're doing weekly. Uh, I yeah. do uh, a monthly, just because the time is just sure. ridiculous. It's a it's a it's a lot a big t- time commitment to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. Thanks so much for uh, getting in touch. I'm glad you did. And uh, thanks for sending over these samples. It's delicious stuff. And uh, best of luck in all of your endeavors. Thank you, Brian. Uh, It was a pleasure having you. And cheers, man. Appreciate it. Cheers. Stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the very end of the show. But uh, hey, if this show has helped you out, entertained you, informed you, or uh, kept you company while you're setting up your bar or whatever, please consider supporting Bartender Journey with a small monthly pledge to our Patreon campaign. Thank you so much to those who have signed up already. I can't tell you how much it means to me. Uh, it just it means the world to me that you're helping out and uh, and supporting this show. It, it you know it's a it's a labor of love, but it is a lot of work and takes a, a lot of my time. And uh, we love doing it and want to keep keep it keep it going. <laughs> Please follow me on Instagram at Bartender Journey. Um, definitely check that out. I, there's some fun pictures there. That event I mentioned earlier that uh, Walter put on Beyond the Bar was held at uh, Pier A all the way downtown Manhattan. And I uh, may or may not have been hanging out with my buddy Craig Shidello after the event, uh, looking out over the water, sipping some whiskey, uh, looking at the sunset behind the Statue of Liberty. And there's a nice picture of that. And I say may or may not because that would be illegal to sit on a park bench and drink whiskey watching the sun go down over the Statue of Liberty. But that might have happened. <laughs> There's a pretty picture on Instagram of that. Uh, hey, it's time for our toast. Laugh and the world laughs with you. Weep and the world laughs at you. 
Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Keep it.